Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to have you with us, and uh, thanks for taking time uh, out of your schedule to worship today. And uh, we are starting a, a new sermon series uh, that we are calling Yield, and uh, all has to do with the aspect of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, typically we outline messages in sermon series, and uh, over the past couple of weeks we've been uh, in between series. And so uh, a huge thank you last week for Donna Myers sharing with us. Uh, I was told maybe that I should record from my living room this week, although I don't think my kids are anywhere well-behaved, and I know that my dog is not as well-behaved as Donna's was, and so uh, I am here uh, at the church, but grateful for her taking time to share with us, and um, hope that you had a great Mother's Day, even if it was different, um, that uh, moms, you still felt honored and appreciated. And uh, so today, as we jump back into things, we uh, go for the next five weeks in a series we are calling Yield that's all about the Holy Spirit. And in particular, each uh, day is going to look at an aspect of what it means to yield. And so today we are considering this aspect of pause and what it means to pause that uh, Jesus instructed his disciples to wait. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, 8, 8 uh, to wait for the promise of the Father uh, that would be given to them, that you will receive power, but that there is a waiting that takes place that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that applies to you and to me as much as it did to those disciples that gathered in the upper room. And so there's this aspect of pause and, and to wait. And that was not just a chronological thing for those who wait, waited from Passover through the cross to the resurrection to 40 days of Jesus on earth. And then about eight days later, waiting for uh, Pentecost to come, waiting for the Holy Spirit, not knowing it, it would even be on Pentecost, uh, but to wait. But you and I also, we are instructed to wait. We don't wait very well. But part of what it looks like inside of our lives to yield to the Holy Spirit, to obey, to listen, to follow after the Holy Spirit is to be people who don't just run ahead, but to be people who wait, who press pause who are willing just to uh, suspend what we think is true and what we want to be true for the sake of the Spirit's direction inside of our lives. So before we jump into uh, Acts chapter 2 and talk about this a little bit further this morning, let me first say that when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes that is an uncomfortable thing. You know that, that God is three in one and one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and continuing on that, sometimes we look at the Holy Spirit as though uh, we love the Father and we've just sung, you know, good, good Father, and we love uh, Jesus the Son, but sometimes in that family relationship, it's almost as if there was Father, Son, and let's be honest, crazy uncle. Sometimes you grew up in inside of a, an environment where maybe the way that the Holy Spirit was described or talked about, it was almost the honor of the Father and the glory of the Son and the weirdness sometimes of the Holy Spirit, much like the crazy uncle. And sometimes in your family, the crazy uncle is the favorite. The crazy uncle might be the one that has all the ridiculous stories that are told about. The Holy Spirit might be uh, akin to that inside of the way in which we do church sometimes where some of us are all about the Holy Spirit and everything's about the Holy Spirit. And sometimes for others of us, it's what we don't talk about or don't say. To take that a little bit further, you've heard the term charismatic, and sometimes charismatic has to do with, you know, the, the Holy Spirit driving, and, and, and there are uh, denominations and there are movements within the church that are known as charismatic that are Holy Spirit-centered churches. 
Well, I want to take that uh, language and give you two other words that maybe you don't use quite as often. That in, inside of what it looks like to think about the Holy Spirit moving, perhaps you grew up inside of a home or inside of a church that was a charismatic, not charismatic, but a charismatic church where everything was all about the Holy Spirit. Everything was attested to the Holy Spirit. If there was something that you weren't able to do, it was blamed on the Holy Spirit. If there was something someone wanted to convince you of, they referred to the Holy Spirit, and everything was about the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you grew up in the opposite, maybe a charisphobic church. We believe in the Holy Spirit, we just don't talk about Him. We believe that the Holy Spirit exists, but we really don't know how or what or when, and so we'd rather just talk more about Jesus and more about God the Father and less about the Holy Spirit. But you know, and I know, that when we talk about the spiritual life, it is not just your spirit, it's not just spiritual things in general, but we talk about the Holy Spirit coming to take up residence inside of your life and inside of my life, that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to you and to me, that as believers we bear witness to the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is important over these next weeks that we think about, that we grow in our understanding, that we grow in our relationship with who the Holy Spirit is inside of our lives. And so Jesus instructs the disciples to wait, to wait for the promise of the Father. And as they're gathered there inside of the upper room, I don't know if they have any clue that it's going to be at Pentecost or if it's going to be another month or another six months, but we know that they're there and they're waiting. And in Acts chapter 2, we begin to read about the birth of the church with the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now there were those staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these that are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we have heard them declaring the wonders of God in each our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit coming, and in particular the day of Pentecost, it again uh, unleashes all of those charismatic or charisphobic responses in us. Sometimes we don't talk about it because this whole idea of tongues and other languages, and there are churches that talk a lot about that, and there are churches who don't speak at all about that, and and what's it mean that the Holy Spirit would come in such 
uh, power and such vividness inside of that moment. And let's be honest, how come it doesn't really seem to happen like that for me? And so sometimes it's the, the enormity of what we read in Acts chapter 2 that keeps us from pressing in a bit further. But before we get to all the, the fantastic details of the what, I first want to dial that uh, back into the fact that this is uh, a Jewish festival day of Pentecost. Pentecost, uh, penta means 50, and this is 50 days after Passover. Uh, it is a festival, again, that brings people into Jerusalem, much like Passover, much like some of the other festival days. And this day in particular was set aside to recognize the giving of the law by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, the, the tablets that were given, this was God who was willing to communicate himself and his desire for how living should take place. And in the giving of the law, there was something that was celebrated down throughout the centuries, that God speaks, that God wants to be known, that God wants to be uh, identified inside of his people, that they would be known as people who followed after Yahweh. That he would guide their choices, their morality, their ethics, how they lived, that how they lived mattered because of who they belonged to. A God who would instruct them. That for 40 years inside of the wilderness, there were the training wheels that, that God had placed on, on, the people, on, on his people to teach them and to train them in what it meant to belong to him. And so it's fitting that on this day, the Holy Spirit comes. Inside of all the, uh, just the wonder and the signs and everything that took place, there's significance to the fact that on the day that uh, the Israelite people would celebrate the fact that God speaks, that God identifies with his people, that God wants to instruct us, so then the Holy Spirit is given. And inside of Jeremiah chapter 31, we read that, that God says, I'm gonna, there, a time's going to come where I'm going to uh, take the covenant that I make with them, and it's not going to be an external covenant, but I'm going to write it on their minds. I'm going to put it in their minds, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And it goes on to say, no, no longer will they teach their neighbor, saying, know the Lord, but they all will know me. Because what was once external is now internal. The coming of the Holy Spirit was not just to be some uh, phenomenal exercise that just displayed the miraculous power of God apart from the consistent revelation of God that had been active throughout the centuries. And so even the signs that accompany the coming of the Holy Spirit are signs that we see throughout the Old Testament. There are really a couple of them that jump out, but I'm going to illustrate for you, and then Bill and I are going to come back in a few minutes and break this down a little bit further, but there are four symbols that accompany uh, the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. And they show up here, and I think they have relevance for us as well. The first is that, that there is the aspect of wind. That wind is a symbol of the power of God and the presence of God. That when the wind begins to blow, it's a reminder that God shows up. And, and early on in the book of Genesis, when it says that God breathed into Adam, the idea of breath and spirit and life is one word. That we know that when the wind blows, God shows up. The second is, is the aspect of fire. And it says that tongues of fire came and, and rested on each of them. And, and fire is known inside of Scripture to signify the, the reign of God. And in 
particularly the purifying touch of God when God shows up. And so for Moses out in the wilderness, there's a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. And God speaks from the bush and he says, I want you to take off your sandals because the place that you are standing is holy. And what Moses was introduced to was not a mission that he needed to do, was not merely just an experience with God, but what he was introduced to most was the very presence of God that would do something in Moses that Moses could then walk with and stand for God from that point forward. The fire that comes. A couple other symbols that we don't see as much in Acts chapter 2, but you see throughout the rest of Scripture, uh, the first is that of water, that there is the, the mighty rushing water as a symbol of life and as a symbol of renewal. And in, in Ezekiel 47, there's this wonderful picture of what begins as uh, a small stream that begins to build and it, and it comes out from the temple and it begins to go and everywhere that it touches, it brings life and it brings renewal because it symbolizes uh, what God can do when God shows up to barren places and dry places to bring life. The fourth symbol is that of oil. It's the language of anointing. It's the language of consecration. And, and just like when we use language that God would somehow pour out his spirit, that God would somehow send his anointing, that God would somehow bathe this situation, all of that language is oil and it's anointing type imagery. That the presence of God when he shows up might somehow permeate the situation and that we know when we walk into situations we don't go alone but the Holy Spirit goes with us and goes before us. And so on the day of Pentecost, they're gathered together and they're waiting and they're hoping and they're trusting that the promise Jesus has for them will come through. That just like with the coming of the law, that there could be an identification, that there could be instruction, that God himself will even guide how they make decisions and how it is that they live. But now that's no, no longer external, but it becomes internal. Because the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence. And immediately, everyone in the town hears the good news of Jesus Christ spoken inside of their own language. Immediately the church is birthed and thousands come to know Christ. Immediately there's the power of God that, that is on display inside of Jerusalem and inside of the early church. Because the Holy Spirit shows up. Do you know when the Holy Spirit shows up? There is life and there's renewal and there's hope and there's the purifying presence of God and there's the anointing we need the Holy Spirit. And when you ask Jesus to come and take up residence inside of your life, the Holy Spirit came as well. But sometimes we don't live in right relationship to the Holy Spirit, and he will never force himself upon us. But he always invites us, do you want more of me? Will you offer more of yourself to me? Are there areas that aren't under my influence, that if they were under my influence, your life could look dramatically different because of who I am. Francis Chan said that it's the responsibility that we need to be people who live in a right relationship with the Holy Spirit, always expecting 
and striving to be prepared for what the Holy Spirit wants to do, that we live according to His schedule and His plan. You know, it's interesting, sometimes we talk about wanting to be a spiritual people, but I think that's different than wanting to be a Holy Spirit-led person. Over these next several weeks, we're going to unpack that a little bit more of what it means to be a spirit-led church, to be a spirit-led person, to be spirit-led families, to be somehow not just infused by the Holy Spirit, but to be Holy Spirit-led inside of all that we do, that our lives are yielded to Him. But in a couple minutes, we're going to come back and unpack these four uh, symbols just a bit further inside of our worship together. First of all, we want to be reminded today that there is a consistency inside of who God is. And so when we think of God the Father and we think of God the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is a, a consistency that they are not acting apart from one another, but yet there are some distinct um, things that we read about in terms of the Holy Spirit's influence that, again, whether you grew up in a charismatic church or a charisphobic church, you know, sometimes those are overemphasized or not emphasized at all. But uh, we just wanted to kind of walk down through uh, these and just spend a couple more minutes in each, you know, wind, uh, fire, water, and oil. And um, Bill, I'm going to kick it off to you. That that looks like there's some trees there, so we're going to start with wind. You know, that, that, that's a very wind-worthy shirt there, so we'll, we'll start there. Um, but anything, you know, come to mind that way as far as uh, these symbols? Well, wind is, I always have a personal connection with wind. As a child, um, I was scared to death of storms. And for me, it was the wind. Uh, I, I can still to this day, uh, I have visions of, you know, a storm coming in and suddenly the trees start blowing and the grass starts blowing. And, and I've always had this, this weird fear that, you know, how in the world can we not be blown away or how's the house not going to get blown away? And um, a child growing up in the 70s, uh, there was a song that was very popular at the time uh, called He's Everything to Me. Okay. And... Um, as I grew in my faith and I started to learn more uh, about um, God and the Holy Spirit, I kept in my mind, I was, I, was, um, I was calmed, my fears were calmed during those difficult times by the words from that song, in the wind he speaks with majesty. Hmm. And I was able to think about that whenever you know, a storm came up and um, it ultimately was the thing that helped me see it in a completely different way. Uh, a vein. But when we think about wind, we do think about power. And um, you mentioned the, uh, in Genesis where um, Adam is created and God breathes into his nostrils and, and brings life. Uh, there's also uh, the story in Ezekiel 37 uh, with the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm -hmm. and, um, and Ezekiel, uh, in that particular story, um, is suddenly sees those dry bones begin to grow tendons and muscle tissue and flesh. And uh, the words right from Ezekiel are, this is what the Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Mm -hmm. And it was just by his breath that those uh, bones came to life and became an army, I think, as the scripture yeah. Yeah. talks about it. And I think that that's a fitting um, word picture as well because... I wonder if some of the things that scare Christians sometimes about the Holy Spirit is the, 
you know, when you think of the wind and, and the wind blowing, like, um, that's a, a terrifying thing sometimes to think, what is the Holy Spirit going to direct me to do? Or what's go the Holy Spirit going to try to blow out of my life or blow in into my life? And uh, the reality is, uh, I think also of, um, I think it was Elijah, right, that it said that uh, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake or uh, in the violent wind, but it was in the still, gentle breeze. And, and so that he comes in gentleness, uh, too, in the midst of that. And so uh, the, the wind, um, you know, that the wind blows uh, where it, it, it will. Um, and uh, the wind of the Holy Spirit, you know, that, blew, you know, that blows through, uh, that uh, gives breath uh, to us, that is really the life uh, source of the church. And uh, again, so, so much we could say further about that. So let's, let's move and talk about fire for a second. Fire, again, uh, purity and rain. Um, talked about, you know, Moses at the burning bush. Uh, also, we, we read in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 that our God is a consuming fire. And again, talked about something that elicits, you know, fear um, as well as comfort. Um, I can think of a lot of times, you know, the, uh, the, the purifying presence of fire to burn away. I remember uh, my dad would would take a needle and, and would light it, you know, in order to pick out. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, my, my parents were so inhumane compared to what, you know, way of what we do now, but, but I remember that. Um, but also, it's this fire imagery that where the doctrine of purgatory comes from, and that's, that's not where we're going today, but, you know, this, this aspect of how it, you know, runs through Scripture and then through the church. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, John says that when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, and so inside of that, you know, that fire, that consuming uh, presence that purifies, that, bro that burns away, that refines us, again, is something that sometimes we're drawn to and sometimes we're not, you know, all, all that uh, drawn to. But the Holy Spirit's influence that way inside of our lives. And then we're going to move on to... Yeah, uh, let's, keep, let's, let's keep going. Our time is running here, so uh, uh, we'll talk about water. Um, a sign of life and renewal, and you mentioned already Ezekiel 47. I think that's a, it's such a descriptive chapter to read it when he talks about how, you know, the, the water just trickling out of the temple, and then as he moves along, it, gets, it starts moving a little uh, thicker and fuller, and then it's up to his ankles, and, and then before long, he's going down this stream where uh, you mentioned trees are flourishing and wildlife because of uh, the water that is provided for it. Um, is su sustainable um, and then it gets to a point where he's almost swimming in the water and it's just mm -hmm. the, the idea yeah. that um, he's, he's, he's immersed in the power of what, what we could think of as the Holy Spirit um, also when we move on to John chapter 4 uh, we see the story of uh, Jesus talking to the woman at the well mm -hmm. and uh, familiar words here Jesus answered her for everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then a little bit later in John, in chapter 7, we see again this description of the water when he says, On the last day, in the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom uh, those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Mm -hmm. A couple of places where we see the water. And then, of course, um, there's baptism, 
where you know a, a person is not saved by baptism, but um, it is a, a symbol of the anointing uh, and of being a part of a community of believers who will ultimately see to it that that person is in an environment where they can receive salvation mm -hmm. and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, all powerful images. And then, you know, the final one is that of oil. And, and um, oil is probably the most uh, churchy one. In fact, even the image for it on your screen is of, uh, you know, a picture of Francis Asbury's uh, being anointed and consecrated as a bishop. A uh, good Methodist image uh, there for you. But uh, 193 times inside of Scripture, there is a reference to anointing taking place. Uh, Samuel anoints David uh, long before, years before he is ever officially the king, but he's anointed. Um, you know, there's this aspect in, in the book of Joel that uh, it's prophesied, and then it's picked up again in the book of Acts that I'm going to pour out my spirit. Uh, that is anointing imagery that somehow God would uh, take what is his and unleash it upon and pour it upon um, the people of God. And, you know, for all of these images, uh, maybe they add an element to it, or maybe it just further exemplifies what we already know to be true. Uh, but what we're going to think about over these five weeks is what does it look like to be in right relationship with the Holy Spirit? That when the Holy Spirit wants to uh, press into an area of my life, uh, is he met with uh, opposition or with open arms? When the Holy Spirit wants to direct and say, uh, Mike, will you speak to that person? Will you help in this situation? Will you show compassion here? Is the Holy Spirit met with openness or with defensiveness. When the Holy Spirit begins to move inside of my life in moral areas and wants to refine my character, is the Holy Spirit met with comparison and rationalization or with openness? The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an external force, uh, but it's the, uh, the spirit you know, that Jesus gave us to lead us and to guide us in the truth, to convict us of sin, to uh, give us power for ministry. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence inside of your life. The question is not, is the Holy Spirit in you, but have you offered your life and allegiance and openness to the Holy Spirit? The word today is pause. That when Jesus told the disciples, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, that what it means to be in right relationship with the Holy Spirit is we don't just run ahead, but we are people who wait and listen and long for and give way to what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of our lives. I don't know what that means for you this week. Again, we are living in days that are different than uh, our norm. But I do know this, that if the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence inside of your life and he's placed, placed you exactly where you ought to be, then God can use you this week, that God can grow deeper and larger inside of your life this week if we'll be people who yield our lives, our allegiance, what even marks our life and fills our life, to be people who yield in right relationship with the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you would uh, send us forth today. I pray that you would grow uh, larger within us. I pray that you would use us in phenomenal ways this week. I pray that, Lord, your life-giving water would come and, and quench the deep areas inside of our lives. I pray that your um, just covering oil and anointed, anointing would come and 
and send us forth into the places where you would have us. I pray that your purifying fire would come and burn away the things that aren't of you. And Father, I pray that the wind of your Holy Spirit would come to bring, to give, to bring breath and life and wholeness into who we are. God, would you help us this week to be a spirit-led people? Lord, would you help us to yield our lives not to what we want, but to what you want? Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for this time together. We pray that you would go with us um, the rest of this day, the rest of this week, in the powerful and the awesome and the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for being here this morning.